continuing our series of looking at mothers of the Messiah, the females included in the ancestry of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking tonight at the story of Bathsheba. I'm going to read to you what, where that's from in your Bible. If you can find that in 2 Samuel, reading selected verses. One evening, David got up from his bed, that is King David, king over Israel, and walked around the, on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. And David sent messengers to get her. She came back to him, and he slept with her. She was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought into his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. She didn't ask for any of that, did she? She didn't ask for David to notice her. She didn't ask for David to send his guards after her. She didn't ask for David to sleep with her. She didn't ask for David to have her conceive his son. Didn't ask for David to have her husband killed. Didn't ask for David to marry her, a widow now. All Bathsheba's life changed in such a short time. And she didn't ask for any of it. In fact, we don't get a ton of Bathsheba asking anything. We don't get a ton of her actions at all. The narrative is overwhelmingly focused on David and David's actions and David's guilt. It's almost as if Bathsheba is a side character when all of this stuff is happening to her. Her life is being changed. In fact, the only time we hear her name in this dark story in David's reign is immediately when the guards go to find out what her name is and they come back and say she's Bathsheba. You know what she's called for the rest of the account? Uriah's wife. Holding at the forefront the guilt, the wickedness of what David had done. But the way the story is told, the way God tells us the story in 2 Samuel, leaves a lot of questions unanswered. What was... Bathsheba's role in this affair. What was her level of innocence? Did she ask for it? That kind of question is at the forefront of a lot of Bible readers because that's our question at the forefront of our minds a lot of times when people are assaulted or abused. Did they do something to bring it on themselves. In fact, that's the, a question at the forefront of a lot of victims. Did I do something to cause this to happen to me? Why do we do that? Why do we investigate the innocence of Bathsheba? I do it too. What are we trying to accomplish? Do we really think that if Bathsheba can be proven to have wanted it somehow, that she maybe was lonely, that she was bathing out there in the open to get David's attention, that she knew that David was home from war when other kings usually go out to battle, then maybe we can pin it on her, then maybe we can distance ourselves 
from the story. Or we could go in the opposite direction. We could find every detail we want to get to prove that that Bathsheba is 100% innocent and that she is nothing but a victim in this story. And then our ire, our anger, our rage can turn just to David as the abuser, as the aggressor, as the perpetrator. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't let us answer those questions. The Bible doesn't tell us what Bathsheba was thinking during that whole time. And it's good. It's good that God doesn't answer that question. You know why? Because people don't just matter when they're innocent. People don't just deserve our compassion and our sympathy when we can prove that they did nothing wrong in what they're suffering. It's funny how I'm completely willing to investigate a Bathsheba, but when it comes to me probing my own heart for sin and guilt, I don't subject myself to nearly the same scrutiny. Jesus said, with the measure you use, it'll be measured unto you. You can't distance yourself from the story of Bathsheba and David. That's why God doesn't give us the details we might want to prove innocence or guilt. We are forced to see ourselves in this story. And if, if it's our mission to prove who's innocent or, or who's guilty, then you might be disappointed in how the story continues. Because God comes straight up to David and says, you have sinned, you have done wickedness, you have done wrong. David repents, and God forgives him. Which goes against all of our intuition, all of what we want to do with people who commit such sexual acts. We want to, we want to crucify them. We want to see them burn for what they've done. But God comes in forgiving. God will not satisfy our desire to to try to prove people's innocence and then and then show compassion and then ha- let them have worth in our eyes. What is the most scandalous thing about the whole story between David and Bathsheba? God stays involved. Think about it. When somebody is embroiled in a public scandal, everyone flees. Everyone runs in the opposite direction. It doesn't matter if they're innocent or guilty. We wouldn't want anything to do with that. You find out who your real friends are, don't you, when you when you are going through something public, something disgraceful. But God is not like that. Now, the story of David and Bathsheba proves, if anything, that God is willing to get down in the dirt and get involved with sinful people, with victims who have been mistreated, who have been attacked who have been assaulted. God is willing to get down in the dirt next to them. God stayed active in Bathsheba's life. God is also willing to get down in the dirt and stay involved with people like David, with aggressors, with perpetrators, with abusers. God, God's love for David is what drove him to confront him with his sin and to, and to demand that he repent. God's love for David drove him to send Nathan to tell him that parable about a man with his sheep to call David to carpet for his sin so that he could forgive them. Now, the Bible might not fill in the blanks with this story, but the Bible is full of teachings and details about how God feels about murder, about adultery, about coveting other people's spouses. We know from the Bible that God was not cool with David's actions. 
Because David can be forgiven of what he did. That means you and I can be forgiven of what we've done. Because God chose to remain active in the lives of Bathsheba and David, that means God is going to get down in the dirt and get involved with you as well. As Matthew opens his gospel, he, he tells us the genealogy of Christ, and he includes Bathsheba. But he doesn't call her Bathsheba. Matthew, in the gospel, says Uriah's wife. Calling back to mind everything that had happened, this salacious adultery, this murder of Uriah. Why? Not to crucify David for what he did all over again, but to remind us the kind of people God gets involved with. The people Jesus chose to come through show us the people Jesus came for. He came for Rahab, the prostitute. He came for people like Ruth, who were struggling to put, put food on the table. He came for people like David and Bathsheba. He came for victims and perpetrators alike, to show us our sin, to show us his grace. Show us that he doesn't give up on any of us. That's what we're celebrating this Christmas. A Savior that gets involved. That's what you see at the manger. What you're going to see at the manger this weekend is a Savior who, who chooses to get down in the dirt and spend time with us sinners, who chooses to get involved with the human story so that he can show us love, so that he can save us from ourselves. That's what we're celebrating. Emmanuel, God with us, God for us. Amen.